Columbia University psychology department by our own grad students. And so if you've checked out this podcast before, you may notice that our typical host, Monica Tu, isn't here. Uh, and that's because Monica completed our program and graduated with her PhD this past spring. So I will be stepping into her very difficult to fill shoes. My name is Emily Nakawita, and I'm a fifth year student here in our department. And so as a friendly reminder, this season, we're talking to students from our program to hear a bit about their diverse backgrounds and experiences before joining PhD programs. Uh, because as you will see, there are many different paths to ending up in a program like ours. And so without further ado, uh, I'd like to introduce our guest today, Hannah Tarterstall, who is a fifth year PhD student in our department, working with Chris Baldassano and Miriam Ali. And so welcome, Hannah. We're so excited you're here. Thank you so much for having me. So I guess just to jump in very broadly, just what did your path to grad school look like? Um, when did you apply? Was it straight out of college? Was it later on? Um, and what helped you make that decision? Yeah. Um, so I guess to start, I will say that my path to starting a PhD was anything but typical. Straight out of high school, I actually went into uh, an undergraduate program in uh, music performance. Um, I studied classical voice performance. So essentially, I was studying to be an opera singer. Um, quite different from what I do now. And so cool, though. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I learned a ton. Um, so I studied for four years um, to be an opera singer. And then I worked as a freelance singer for about one year. And along the way, I learned a lot. I had a really great time, but I also realized that maybe singing wasn't the professional career that I wanted, um, you mm -hmm. know, for, for multiple reasons. It just wasn't for me, although I really enjoyed that aspect of my life. And so after I finished um, that program and sang for a year, I decided to go back to school. And I did actually an entire second undergrad in psychology and neuroscience. Um, I'm from Canada. In Canada, or at least um, in Ontario, where I'm from, they didn't have post-bac programs. So I couldn't do a one-year post-bac. Instead, I did an entire second undergraduate degree. Oh my gosh. So another four years. It ended up being three years um, or like two and okay. a half years because I had enough transfer credits. Um, but it was still a Got lot. It. it was a lot. Yeah, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad that I did it, but I was also very sure that this was what I wanted to do and very determined to, to do it. Um, but it was a lot. So I ended up getting my second undergraduate degree um, in psychology, where I was in a program called Psychology Research Specialist, where there were about 12 of us in this program. And we um, had the opportunity to work in labs and do um, research. We had to do a mini thesis in our third year and then a full thesis in our fourth year. And it was there that I really um, realized how much I loved doing experimental psychology research. I applied to grad school um, when I was in the fourth year of that undergrad um, degree in that Bachelor of Science degree. So I applied straight out of undergrad, but 
it was my second undergrad. Yeah, straight out of undergrad part two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, So at that point, I did feel like I was ready because I had a lot more experience um, and wasn't like a fresh-faced 22-year-old. I was a fresh-faced 26 year old (laughs) (laughs) Still very fresh-faced, I'm sure. Did you always know, kind of in the back of your mind, even while you were pursuing your opera career, that you wanted a PhD? Or was this something you stumbled upon kind of after the fact fully? Yeah, um, I think it's just something that I kind of serendipitously stumbled upon. I never knew that like this was definitely the path that I wanted to go down and that I was going to get a PhD regardless of the field that I was in. But one thing that I did always know is that I really loved learning and I really loved school. Um, like even yeah. as a small child, I was so excited to go to school in the morning um, and I just really enjoyed it. I wanted to I knew that I wanted to do something where I could be continually continuously learning. I guess I just didn't really realize that a PhD would would satisfy that um, those requirements that I really wanted to, um, yeah, that I really wanted to just keep learning. And I, I used to say like I wanted to be a professional student and stuff like that, but I guess I didn't realize that a PhD would kind of allow me to do that in a way, in a sense, um, until my second undergraduate degree. So once I started working in psychology labs and learning from professors about what a PhD would look like and what their jobs looked like, I realized like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. But I didn't know that from like a young age. And it wasn't something that I was always working towards. And so when you did apply, you mentioned, so you worked on a thesis as part of your program, your undergraduate, undergrad part two. Um, And so it sounds like you had kind of a really rich set of research experiences as an undergrad that not everyone might have. Um, So I'm curious. So we get a lot of questions uh, kind of emailed to the podcast email about how to know when you're ready to apply. And so was it the, the sort of thing where you were able to complete a project start to finish? And do you think that if so, did that help you feel ready to apply? Um, Or uh, did you just have kind of enough time under your belt, uh, regardless of whether the project was finished or not, that you felt like it was, you know, okay, I I think I can go for it um, this cycle? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I had finished one project and had like a few other projects that I'd started. As I said, in this specialized program, we did a mini thesis in our third year. And so by the time I was applying to um, grad school, that was in preparation. And I'd also worked in another lab um, throughout an entire summer. I got an undergraduate research grant to work there. And then I was also completing a thesis um, for another project that I had been working on. So I feel like I had you know, had a fair amount of experience, but also I think it's really hard to know for yourself, like when you're ready, when you're not. I am somebody that always feels like there's always room to improve, always um, more to learn and more to know. Um, So even as a fifth year PhD student, I just feel like there's just so much that I don't know how to do yet. Um, So I think what really 
helped me feel ready to apply was that I was lucky enough to have some really, really wonderful mentors in my undergraduate program who really pushed me to apply and said that they thought that I would be ready um, and to give it a shot. And if I wasn't ready, that like if I didn't get it, I could, you know, always try again. But they said that they thought that I, you know, it was worth giving it a shot. And I'm really glad that I did. Totally. Yeah. I worried about the same thing myself. And I remember that I, you know, I also received the feedback that, you know, why not just give it a shot? And I think what's nice about that is even if it doesn't happen the first year, at least you've pulled together your materials and kind of gone through some rounds and gotten some practice, maybe interviewing. Um, And so I think that as long as you know what it is you want to study, it seems like there may not be a harm in in giving it a shot, right? Uh, Even if you're not sure that it'll happen this cycle versus the next one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I guess the only (laughs) harm in that is that it does cost money to apply. Um, So just to like, I just want to bring that up that I know that not everyone can just, you know, apply to a bunch of schools and stuff. So totally. Totally. They're worth flagging that there are often fee waivers. Yes. So if yes. you find yourself interested in applying, but in the position where it could be financially challenging, it's always worth, um, even if they don't mention it on the website, explicitly asking if there are fee waivers available, because I think a lot of programs do offer those now. So yes. that could be useful for, Definitely for people who are kind of getting to that stage. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. But yeah, I think like relying on my own intuition when it came to that stage wasn't maybe necessarily helpful. Um, and I think, you know, really talking to my mentors about what they looked for in new graduate students um, uh, what kind of skills they wanted them to have, what kind of skills they're like, oh, I could just teach teach my students this when they get here, um, uh, was really, really useful for understanding when I felt ready. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So I'd love to hear kind of shifting gears a bit more about what you study now. So both the topics that you study, but also the methods you use to study what it is that you study. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I am interested in the cognitive neuroscience of memory. In particular, what I'm really interested in is adaptive memory. So why do we have memory in the first place? What is it good for? And one of kind of the prevailing theories of um, kind of why we have memory is that to have memory for the past is really useful because it helps us plan our future and kind of predict what's going to be coming up next in our future. And this helps us prepare for different scenarios that could arise. And so this is what I've been studying during my PhD, how memory is used to predict or anticipate upcoming events. And I have approached this from a few different angles. Um, I have a few studies that are purely behavioral. um, And so I, especially because, you know, where I am in my PhD, a lot of things got interrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, I have a few studies that um, are behavioral and are online studies. Um, And I also have a few uh, fMRI studies. I also um, use neuroimaging to ask questions, not just about how we use memory to predict upcoming events and behavior, but how those memories are represented in the brain. So what made you realize that this was the topic that you wanted to study in grad school? That's a really great question. Um, I guess I always knew, uh, starting from undergrad part two, that I was really interested in memory research. I think my interest in memory research actually really started from my singing career. 
Um, because anecdotally, I always notice that music has this really powerful effect. Um, like when you hear a song that you haven't heard in a long time, and it really kind of teleports you back to that moment in time that like maybe you first heard the song or can really trigger um, a retrieval of these memories that are associated with the song. And when I realized that I wanted to go into psychology, that was kind of really one of the burning questions that I had. What are the aspects um, of memory that really like allow um, allow us to remember like our, our rich and vivid um, like experiences in life? And um, the more I learned about it, the more I started to understand that what I was experiencing when I would hear these like familiar songs was the idea of kind of this mental time travel that Tulving like postulated um, as being a hallmark of episodic memory. And then as I learned more and more, I started being interested in like, not just how we remember, but why? What's the purpose of having these memories for our past? Is it just to be able to reflect on the past? Um, but like, what's the adaptive utility of having those memories? And so I think going into my PhD, that's really kind of what um, one of the burning questions that I really wanted to, um, you know, have a small part in answering. That's so cool. And I love how kind of the spark for what you want to study as a PhD student came from your previous career. It's just so interesting and a great example of how, you know, inspiration for research can come from anywhere. Um, and so for people who are watching this podcast or listening to this podcast, uh, who may have kind of different sorts of backgrounds, um, then maybe, the type of student people think of who just goes from um, straight from like their first undergrad uh, to, to a PhD program. Um, you can really find such interesting inspiration in the things you might do beforehand. Why don't we shift gears for a moment um, and talk about life as a PhD student kind of separate from research, or I guess research is a part of it, but I'd love to hear what you like most about being a PhD student. Um, I think we kind of touched on this before, but I just really like that every day I have the opportunity to learn new things. Um, I love kind of learning new things and coming up with questions from that new knowledge and then being able to then answer those questions. I think that's um, really rewarding for me. And so I just really enjoy feeling like I could really be immersed in, a, you know, new knowledge and contribute to it. Um, so I think that part I really enjoy. I guess more specifically about the day-to-day, -day, what I really like about being a PhD student is that I have a wide kind of diversity of tasks. So uh, mm -hmm. I, on any given day, might be programming a new experiment, or I could be writing up an experiment that is almost done, um, writing it into a paper. I could uh, read a new article that came out that's really related to my field that I'm really excited about. There are so many different things that I could be doing. Um, and it's not like I just wake up and, um, you know, just do whatever. It, it's important to manage your time effectively. But I think also having that variety in my day um, and doing a bunch of different things that are all intellectually stimulating, but in very different ways, I find really rewarding and fun. That makes perfect sense. And so kind of to take the other perspective, what is it that you dislike most about being a PhD student? Ooh, um, what do I dislike the most? I think um, 
this is a lot more open-ended um because i really do love my day-to-day job essentially as a phd student i i find it really rewarding and intellectually stimulating mm-hmm. i guess what i dislike the most is um there's a lot of uncertainty about yeah. um uh, how your projects are going to turn out you put a lot of time and effort and like honestly just like a a piece of yourself in every single project that you do and there's a lot of uncertainty and sometimes when it doesn't work out that could be kind of crushing (laughs) Mm -hmm. when it does come together though it's an incredible feeling so that's like the flip side of that but I think that I'm dealing with that uncertainty is one thing that I find really difficult um and you feel just very very personally invested in everything you do um like all of your projects as a PhD student and um that could be a lot of uncertainty to deal with yeah totally no that's so helpful and I think a lot of the time uh, for students who are interested in pursuing a PhD or grad school of some sort, um, they often only think about the positive. So I think it's actually really helpful to share that as a potential drawback if you're the kind of person who struggles with uncertainty. I totally agree. It can be a challenge to be a PhD student, um, like you said, just not knowing how things will turn out. Uh, so I think that's super helpful to know. Yeah. So I'm curious, especially given that you've had Uh, a pretty unique path, as several of us who have been on this podcast have. If you could go back in time, is there anything you would do differently from the way that you kind of actually did it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's really easy to just like, look back, like given where, where you are now and just say like, oh, like, Mm -hmm. I didn't need to do this, or I didn't need to do that. But I don't know that that's necessarily how I would view things. Um, I think certain days I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't have to do that whole opera undergrad. But um, when I think about it more, there are definitely so many experiences that I had um, that maybe weren't directly helping me get into a PhD program or get my doctorate. Um, But they are experiences that are really valuable nonetheless and have like really shaped me into the person and the researcher that I am today. So I think that's true of so many different experiences. Um, it's not just about kind of the intellectual path that you've taken, but just like you you bring all of yourself to your research, right? So I think yeah, really yeah. just keeping in mind that we have all of these experiences and they they shape us as a person. And then we use those personal experiences to then guide our research questions. So for example, maybe I wouldn't have been so interested in memory if I hadn't had that opera undergrad first. So uh, totally, I, I don't think I would have done anything different, even though it was a challenge going from opera to psychology. Um, I, mm-hmm. I think that it's a challenge that was really rewarding and um, I'm really glad that I had the experiences that I had, even though, yeah, maybe it's not going to be a line for my Vita, but um, I'm, I'm really glad that I did it. So I think if I could go back and change anything, um, I I would probably tell my my younger self to chill out a little bit more. <laughs> I love that. I was so anxious when I was applying to grad school. I was so stressed all the time. I 
just wanted to do more and more to just try to like stack my uh, my CV as much as I could. Um, I was so anxious going from opera to psychology because I felt like it was such a big jump and I felt like I was so behind in life. Um, and then I came to my PhD and I realized I wasn't. Everyone has different and unique paths and everything. And I had spent so much time worrying about it and being stressed and anxious. Um, so I think I would just go back and tell myself to still work hard, but that I could chill out a little bit. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So one quick question for you, since we have lots of uh, international students uh, from outside the United States who are interested in, who follow the podcast and who are interested in PhD programs in the US. Mm -hmm. And so I'm curious, as an international student, is there any advice that you would have in particular for other international students who might be interested in programs here in the US? Yeah, piece of advice that I would give. I come from Canada where we have um, like free healthcare is to ask about healthcare plans. Um, uh, that's just not something I thought to do at all until my last interview where they like freely gave us that information and I hadn't thought to ask about it at all in any of my other interviews and wished that I had. Um, and then I think on like a more serious note, I would think about the kind of things that are important to you in life and that make you happy um because moving to a new country is stressful um mm -hmm. if you don't know anyone here in the states um or at the specific school that you're going to it can be isolating and um you will be kind of separated from your support system or at least i was um, i was super lucky to make some really great friends um who have been my my rocks while i'm um, away from my family. But I think just really thinking about that to prepare yourself, um, and decide if that's really what you want to do. Um, because it can be, it can be hard. You can be separated from your support system and, you know, PhDs are hard. There are ups and there are downs. I think happy people make, do, do the, do better research like or you do your best research I guess when you're happy versus unhappy is what I mean to say that's such great advice and thank you so much for sharing so openly um I think that's another good example of like there are benefits but also potential drawbacks um of pursuing this kind of program especially like you were saying when you don't have that support system there for sure um that's that's great advice and so I guess Kind of opening it up more broadly for my last big question. Um, so thinking about aspiring PhD students more broadly from wherever they are, if you could give those aspiring students one piece of advice from where you sit now, what would it be? Just one? <laughs> Just one, or uh, maybe two if you've got a couple of really good ones. Okay, this is definitely difficult um, advice to follow, and I'm sure I've had many times where I haven't followed it. Um, but to try not to compare yourself to others. Everyone comes mm. from, uh, has different experiences. Everyone comes from different circumstances. Um, everyone has had different opportunities. And I think it's really easy to get caught up comparing yourself to other people, comparing your projects, comparing your progress, how many, um, articles you have versus somebody else um getting caught up in like the 
people love to compete in the overworking Olympics, right? Um, I would just mm-hmm. try my best to just block that out, work hard, um, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, um, and just try not to get caught up in that whole culture of comparison because it's not helpful or healthy for anyone. Um, I think especially on social media, you see people sharing all of their successes, but maybe not as many of their setbacks. And also keeping that in mind um, is just really helpful to kind of stay grounded during the whole process, because as I said, there are a lot of ups and downs. And um, I think it's just important to keep that in perspective. That is such good advice uh, and advice that I also need to take myself at times. Oh, I do also. Yeah, I I can easily give the advice. Am I good at following it? Some days more than others. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. It has been so wonderful and helpful to hear about your background and your path to the PhD um, and also a bit more about what you do um, and what you like and dislike about kind of you know, being at this particular stage in your your life and career. Um, so thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, best of luck to all of those who are going through the application cycle this round. All right, everybody. So to receive notifications when new episodes of this podcast are released, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel or to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And you're also welcome to join our email list to receive an email each time we release a new episode. And finally, if you found Hannah's interview to be helpful, please consider liking the episode on YouTube or rating and reviewing the show in your preferred podcast app. See you next time. Thank you.